Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Okay, folks, uh, this episode is, is kind of a break from coronavirus news that's been dominating this feed and, and other places. It's a it's a really fascinating interview I conducted with uh, Andre Perry. He's a scholar at the Brookings Institution, and he's been doing work on the sort of devaluation of Black-owned assets and assets located in African-American neighborhoods. He's got sort of two great series on this, one about real estate, one about small businesses. Uh, I learned a ton about the world, but also about like my actual community and the neighborhood that I live in and the kind of forces shaping uh, the world all around us. Uh, I've learned a lot. Um, check this one out. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias. My guest today, Andre Perry, is a fellow at the Brookings Institution. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Know Your Price, and the author of, of a couple recent great reports that I'd read on a fascinating subject. The most recent one of them that, that I saw, it's about I don't know how you would put it. Be, it. It looks at the Yelp reviews in African-American versus white neighborhoods, and, and it shows how business quality essentially is is devalued in black neighborhoods. Um, that's right. My, the thrust of my work, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at assets in um, black majority cities. Um, there's this narrative that the, the state of black majority cities are a direct result of the behaviors of the residents in them. Um, and so a lot of my work goes into looking at structural issues that cause um, lower prices on homes, lower ratings on, on uh, for services. And so th- this business report that we just put out, looking at the devaluation of businesses in, in black neighborhoods, falls in that in that vein. And so what we did was we scraped Yelp data to get a sense of quality of businesses in neighborhoods where the black share of the population is 50% or greater, and compared those reviews as well as revenue growth in neighborhoods where the share of the population is less than a percent. And what we found is pretty much astounds that businesses owned by people of color actually have higher Yelp ratings Mm -hmm. um, than their their white counterparts, but they get less revenue and less reviews based upon the concentration of blackness around it. And now this is for all businesses, regardless of the the race of the owner, that a business in a black neighborhood is penalized— or devalued simply because of the the perception of the neighborhood it's in. It's not an issue of quality mm-hmm. that's getting less revenue. The, the quality is there, as indicated by the, the Yelp reviews. I, I want to dive into this, how it works put together, because it's, it's fascinating. And it's a, you know, it, 
to exploit Yelp to sort of get an index that we wouldn't have been able to do in the past is, is really, really clever yeah, and cool. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's because so much talk about technology has been about how it harms yes. community. <laughs> so we're using data from this popular app to expose inequality in mm-hmm. this country. Let's talk a little bit about about that narrative that you yeah. you sort of mentioned at, at the beginning. And so this is an idea that well, so we know there's a there's a large wealth gap uh, in the United States. African Americans have much less household a tenth, wealth. One hundred and seventy thousand um, compared to seventeen thousand um, um, white to black. And so and so one idea about that could be well, this is essentially a lack of savings behavior on right. the part of African American households, right? If you just stop buying uh, gold chains and, and fancy cars, then th- your your households will be better off. That that's what's out, out there. And there's a there's a kind of racist version oh, of absolutely. that that you hear from scoldy white people, and you also hear it though from the more conservative segments inside the black community, right? Oh, that this is a there's a narrative. It's well, if we were, we got to spend our money, and, right. you know, in the in the right way, and we're gonna we're gonna just work this out internally. If we just um, own more homes and we started more businesses, and certain some of the presidential candidates, past presidential candidates, had goals of um, establishing more um, a home ownership and and more businesses, and those are, are are great. But if you don't deal with the overarching inequality. No matter how many homes people purchase, if they're constantly devalued, you won't reap the benefits of owning that home. But it gets to this narrative that allows us to not address the the structural issues. If if it's all about individual behavior, then you don't have to look at racism and it, and its root causes. Right, and if there is a structural bias against black-owned businesses or against businesses in black neighborhoods, that's a that's actually a very good reason to not start as many businesses. <laughs> it, it, that's exactly right. There's some wisdom from the, the elders used to say, those who lived during segregation, they would say, our ice is just as cold. Mm-hmm. When having the option of choosing a black business or a white business you should go for quality. Mm-hmm. And right now, the perception of black neighborhoods that was cast from going back to, you know, remember the homeowner uh, loan corporation mm-hmm. when they're redlining, redlining determined that black neighborhoods, for the most part, should not um, qualify for refinancing for home loans be- because they were a, a high risk. That perception of risk goes beyond housing. It goes to businesses, to people. And so when you have this belief that black people are the causes of the conditions of the, of, of the neighborhood, you never get to those structural, real structural differences that created these wide wealth gaps. And it becomes cyclical because if you observe that black-owned assets are devalued, that's a reason to not lend which perpetuates devaluation. Oh, absolutely. It, th- this cycle, and, and, and it, it goes beyond just the the housing market. So people look at the homes in, in, in neighborhoods and black neighborhoods are devalued. The businesses are devalued. People move out. There's less excitement about it. And eventually people do move back in and purchase property at a discount mm-hmm. because these are quality assets. And, I, and that's another important piece of this, that I'm constantly showing that homes and businesses are quality in, in black neighborhoods, are quality assets, but they are devalued. Mm-hmm. They're not broken. As you alluded to, when something goes wrong in a black neighborhood, the reflective responses is it all starts at home if mm-hmm. they just act right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and never get at the structures 
that are causing a lack of revenue, then um, we, we won't ever get to a place of, that, of equality and, and equity. Let's talk about this this Yelp research. And just yep. first, like if, if people are for some reason not familiar, uh, what what is Yelp? Yelp is a consumer rating tool that a lot of people are familiar with. When they go to a restaurant, you can actually rate the experience. You can mm-hmm. rate the food. You can rate the, uh, the amb- ambiance. And so it's one of these tools that business owners respond to, and it's an indication of their managerial ability. And so when you score high on Yelp, it's uh, it's an indication that you are a, a quality business owner. You're responding to the needs of the market. And so when you have these sort of net promoter scores or um, um, these rating systems, it's an opportunity to see get a, a sense of how the the quality of the manager. And you know, I a lot of times if I'm someplace new, I'm I'm traveling, you know, I'm looking, well, is there is there any pizza around That's here? Right. And and you know, Yelp will come up and it's it's interesting because you get a rating of the quality of different places. And if you're a visitor, like I don't know anything about the different neighborhoods That's or right. where they are or or what's going on. Um and so it can drive business locally, uh, but but also to everybody, it's this at least like pseudo-blind assessment of, of what businesses are out there. Absolutely. And and it's a ubiquitous tool. So one of the questions we receive regarding this paper is who, who are the Yelp reviewers? Now, there are some differences in income levels of, of, of the Yelp reviewers, but from our perspective, that blacks and whites use these tools pretty equally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where people thought, oh, blacks don't use LinkedIn mm-hmm. or they don't use Twitter or Facebook. But blacks and whites generally use these t- tools equally. And so the, the who's using Yelp really didn't doesn't really factor in the profit differences mm-hmm. that came about in the study. And so then, like, the first most basic thing you show is that if you have higher Yelp review, that drives more revenue. Oh, absolutely. And in in the main, a higher Yelp review, you get higher um, revenue, no question, except for in Black neighborhoods in which highly rated businesses in Black neighborhoods actually get lower revenues than those lowly rated businesses in white neighborhoods. Right. And so you, you're looking at revenue growth, right? Yeah, the idea is right. a high rating uh, should drive new people exactly. to, to your business, that new people will discover it and they'll they'll hear good things about it and, and they will show up. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's not earth shattering to find that high ratings do in fact drive revenue, but it's important to the external validity uh, uh, the right. finding, and then you see that there's an exception in uh, – h- how do you how do you assess, like, what, what are black neighborhoods in, in your – Well, you know, term? because of an, another study, and we'll probably talk about this, that because of housing devaluation, mm-hmm. that homes in black neighborhoods are priced lower, resulting in lower um, – less revenue for owners, less revenue – um, for municipalities, many of the neighborhood conditions would be different if you didn't have this de- mm-hmm. devaluation. And um, and so that adds to this perception that quality is less than in black neighborhoods. And so, you know, one of the recommend, re- recommendations we, we, we say that, hey, we need direct investment, not only in the business owner, but in the surrounding neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. The devaluation of businesses and property in black neighborhoods erodes the quality of that neighborhood. And so we are advocating strongly, hey, we need investment in the actual places, but 
there must be an, a, an associative investment in the individual because if you invest in place and not people, that spurs gentrification. Right. right. But so so I, you define a, a black neighborhood as a, it's a over 50 percent? Over 50 percent. And, right. and we compare those to where the share of the black population is less than a percent. Mm-hmm. In the United States is about, what, 11, 12 percent African-American population. About 13, 13, 13. Yeah, yeah. But there's a, a, a lot of segregation and residential patterns, so it's not uncommon for a neighborhood to be either much blacker than average or, oh. or, or essentially all white. Yeah, in the report, what's fascinating, I met a, a owner, um, Grandma Bees, the owner of Grandma Bees, Dorian Moorfield. He's owned this business for 10 years. It's in the, the neighborhood called the Hill District in Pittsburgh. Ten years ago, it was 99% black. Mm-hmm. Over the last 10 years, it's become 80% black. Mm-hmm. So rapid change. And the owner says, hey, and this, by the way, this owner has a highly rated business. It's raised 4.5 on Yelp, mm-hmm. um, has about 50 reviews. But uh, when white folks started moving in, mm-hmm. you started. He started to see um, city services increase. He mm-hmm. started to see, you know, the street lights being fixed mm-hmm. and attention, um, or the neighborhood getting attention. Now, this has always been a quality business serving um, black residents well, as indicated f- from Yelp. But white folk are, are bringing this added investment mm-hmm. in the area that. You know, you you shouldn't have to have white people move in to sure. get particular services in your so neighborhood. So, in, in in the case of this this kind of business, right? So, I mean, essentially, he's he's benefiting from the fact that there is gentrification happening in yeah, the no, neighborhood. And, no, I would say that he is benefiting from customers. Sure, yeah, customers coming in, right? But I mean, as his perception, at least, is that driven by services coming from the city or is it driven from the social networks of the new white residents uh, you know, telling other people from a sort of broader swath of the area, hey, come on down here? I think it's both. I mean, I think all businesses need customers and word of mouth and reputation. And so added people mm-hmm. um, enhances or enhances your ability to make profits. However, what's interesting is that Many businesses, the folks aren't willing to go into the neighborhood to get that the better service, the better burger, mm-hmm. the better retail, mm-hmm. simply because it's in a black neighborhood. Right. And that's the barrier that we need to knock down. Right. I mean, the, 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 so the question is, right, the perception is this neighborhood is like a no-go zone. That's exactly so it right. doesn't it doesn't matter like how good the food is. I'm just I'm not going to go. Yeah, and and when we do that, we distort the market and mm-hmm. we harm one the the area that's being prejudiced against, and, and that's what the the saying of our ice is just as cold is right. really getting to that when high quality businesses are competing against low quality businesses, you remove the incentive to provide quality services. Mm -hmm. And so we need for folks to recognize quality regardless of the the residents in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, and, and by the way, um, when folks look at and, our, and this is coming from another report. When folks look at black neighborhoods, it's almost as if they're seeing twice as much crime than there mm-hmm. actually is. That they 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 think that the schools are worse than they actually are, and it's that perception that 
um, we've got to get rid of because it's robbing people of the opportunity to lift themselves up. Right. So let's take a break. And, and then I want to talk about the, the housing yep. piece of this because that, I think, drives a lot right. of things. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media. Pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context. And it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash NAP. That's N-A-P-P. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. So in a, in a prior report, you look at the valuations of homes in, in African-American neighborhoods, and that gets at a, a lot of what you were starting at there, right? You can sort of eyeball the racial composition of a neighborhood, or it can have a reputation in one way or another. And location is very important to the real estate industry, always sort of has been. But this is a kind of, you know, a really insidious nexus between race and, and real estate valuations that you find. Yeah, so what we did, uh, again, we uh, looked at home prices in neighborhoods where the share of population was greater than 50 percent, compared those to neighborhoods where the share of the black population was less than a percent. And we looked at Zillow um, listing price, um, and we controlled for all those reasons people would suspect causes lower home prices. In absolute terms, um, homes in black neighborhoods are about half the price of those in white neighborhoods. So what, what what do you control for in there? So yeah, so we but we control for education, crime, walkability, number of restaurants, and a lot of the things people um, consider when buying a home. Mm-hmm. 
But after controlling for all those things, what we found pretty much astounds that homes in, in Black neighborhoods are devalued by 23 percent, about 48,000 per home. Um, Accumulatively, that's 156 billion. What I say is lost equity. Mm-hmm. That money should be used to start businesses, to send your kid to college, to move to a better neighborhood. That money should be used for by municipalities. Part of it would go to their, their tax coffers to provide better schools, to um, fix uh, the roads and provide the infrastructure. So the homes in Black neighborhoods are quality homes, mm-hmm. again, but they are devalued. And, and again, I, I say this all the time. There's nothing wrong with black people that ending racism can't solve. Mm-hmm. We, we have to get to, to, to beat back this narrative that black communities are somehow broken. And this, you know, the, the tax revenue piece there, right, that's really interesting because it's perception then drives reality, right? If you talk about a majority black city and, you know— it has its pros, it has its cons, like any place else. But if it was valued at that 23% higher rate, right, that you're talking about, then the tax base is larger. Oh, right? and, then, and then whatever those real problems are, the city has a much easier time tackling them. You could have more teachers, more police officers, paved roads, whatever it is, and, and a, a virtuous circle of improved perception and then improved reality. Yeah, my I, 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 it's a life and death situation though my I, I in my new book uh, know your price I outlined the story of my father mm-hmm. um, he was murdered in a prison outside of Detroit um, Jackson State Penitentiary and that when I read the autopsy report it, it said he was stabbed he died from a single stab wound to his to his heart but I followed his his life he lived in devalued neighborhoods Mm -hmm. where he did not get the education he he should have received. He did not get the support. He he was a um, a drug addict. He did not receive um, the support um, he needed for his addiction. He did, you know, he was over-policed. He was um, criminalized in a lot of ways. And so while the report said he, he died at the hands of someone else, he, he also died because the racism in Detroit at the time devalued the neighborhoods and the families within it. So it's a real life and death situation. Right, right. And what do you, as best you can tell, I mean, what, what drives this devaluation? Is it that the neighborhood is perceived as unsafe? At the end of the day, it's the perception of black people mm-hmm. that is un- unsafe. Mm-hmm. That um, going back to you know, the Homeowners Loan Corporation and the redlining story, it was the perception that black people are a greater risk. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you see devaluation of people, you're going to get devaluation of neighborhoods. You're going to get devaluation of school boards. You're going to get devaluation of institutions. As long as people are devalued, you'll, you'll see that manifest itself in the devaluation of the things we touch. Right. And I mean, you know, you you see this very prominently in, in the world. I mean, I remember a, a conversation I had uh, with a, a police officer in, in my neighborhood. And, you know, he was at a community meeting and was asking where I lived. And, you know, I, I told him and he said— uh, well, there's a there's a lot of criminal activity on that block. And, you know, I, I asked what he was talking about. He was referring to an apartment complex at the sort of other end of the block, mostly African-Americans there. Uh, you know, so we talked about that. And I said, well, what 
like, what do you mean? Like, what what criminal activity? And then he says, well, you know, they're 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 smoking pot in the parking lot. And I said, well, that's not illegal. Um, I mean, because it's not in, in D.C. And he said, well, you know what I mean. Um, and I mean, I think I think I do know what he yeah. means. But look, if it goes as high as the president of the United States, remember when um, Trump was then candidate Trump. And he gave a speech in Diamonddale, Michigan, mm-hmm. and he was it was almost as if he was looking directly at Detroit. And he, when he made that um, comment, basically appeal to the black voters saying, what do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it, it, but from our research, we, we clearly know there's something there. There's six hundred and nine billion dollars of residential assets in, in, in black majority black cities. Um, there's businesses in, in majority black. But there's this perception that there's nothing there. Well, and when we were talking about uh, Elijah Cummings. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and his district. Right. I mean, right. I thought that was a great example because it's, a you know, like a lot of places, there's some troubled neighborhoods in there, but it's a very middle class middle class district. But it's an African American district. That's African American representative, so he's you know it's a shithole in his mind. That's that's exactly right, and 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 this and this is the the narrative. It's you know Donald Trump didn't create this. No. That this is the narrative that exists about black neighborhoods, mm-hmm. that they are broken, that they are risky, that there's crime, that there's all these. And it leads to the devaluation of property, which worsens the the the, the neighborhood's capacity to lift itself. And, and schools. And schools. Too, I would think, right? I mean, there's an incredible racist perception of the, the dangers of— Sending a child to a school with black kids. You, you know, I, I I started out a lot of my research in education, mm-hmm. and um, one thing I, I that I can't stand is when people say, "If we could only fix the schools, mm-hmm. everything else will matter." And and we've had a an era of school reform where we blamed students. Mm-hmm. And we blame teachers. Mm-hmm. And we never looked at the financing structures, mm-hmm. and including the devaluation of homes that robs communities of the resources to provide quality services. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a real problem that we need big solutions for. And I think we've seen that from some of the um, school equalization lawsuits, oh, yeah. right? That it's been, you know, because I think there, there was an old line of thinking in uh, education that, well, money doesn't fix these problems. And you can show a correlation. It's true. Some high-spending districts have a lot of problems. But when they, I think it was Connecticut or New Jersey, but some states, you know, they they essentially uh, made them put more money into the low-income, uh, heavily African-American districts. Um, and it helped a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, Maryland and there's a few other states that are um, are passing legislation or working on legislation to increase budgets to, um, to equalize sort of the property tax model that we have. But I, I've been talking with some of those officials and saying, hey, don't, don't forget about the devaluation of, of, of homes either. It's right. not because, of the, again, if you don't fix a structural problem, it will continue um, to um, lessen the ability of neighborhoods to 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 lift themselves. Right. I mean, because this is like, I, I mean, I, I, we, we didn't really go into the whole backdrop of like the role of housing uh, in 
American society, but this is for normal people, right. like the main source of savings and and finance. I mean, obviously, there are also billionaires who right. are doing whatever, uh, but a, a typical person who works for a living gets a mortgage, uh, buys a house, pays off that mortgage over time, and the property value also goes up over time, and now they have a source of, of equity to fall back on. Yeah, now, and we tell that to Black Americans every day. Right. And it's not necessarily true right? because their homes are devalued. So the ability to accrue that wealth is limited. And so um, we've got to address this problem because there are people doing everything that they're told to do to achieve the American dream, and they're not reaping the benefits of it. And I think – and it's important. I mean, what what I think – really important about your your research here is that it's happening now. Now. There's been a a lot of uh, attention over the past few years to the sort of like deep history of housing policy, (laughs) which is important. I mean, it's good to know history, right? But we're not talking actually about a a legacy of discriminatory policies. We're talking about right now discrimination. Let me, let me tell you that the, my research has re- been in the conversations about reparations, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that uh, mm-hmm. because certainly history um, has some bearing on what happens mm-hmm. today. But I'm using 2017 data. Right. <laughs> I, I keep reminding this is 2017 data right. that we're, we're playing with. And so it may not be redlining, but something is going mm-hmm. on not just with um, appraisals, lending, and a real estate agent behavior. There's other factors at play. But there's something going on where homes in black neighborhoods, specifically black neighborhoods, are um, of lesser value. And the controls are important to this, right? Because you're saying it's it's not – I mean, it may be the case that historically black people were were pushed into inferior neighborhoods or denied access to capital, but that right now neighborhoods where the hard assets are comparable to neighborhoods elsewhere, the, the nature of the housing stock, the nature of the street grid are still devalued. Yeah. People will have this image of black neighborhoods being these – poor, downtrodden places. But let's go to suburban Maryland Mm -hmm. in Prince George's County where Mm -hmm. black folks own their homes and, you know, you have well-manicured lawns and you have significant devaluation in Mm -hmm. those places. And I I encourage everyone to to go to um, brookings.edu, get the devaluation of assets report. You can see in your particular area um, how, how much it's devalued. There are some places where um, um, how housing prices appreciates in mm-hmm. black neighborhoods, but for the most part, it's, it's a, a devaluation across the board. And these structural factors, they drive individual behavior. Because, you know, you can perceive something that's like, well, you know, wh- why do they have this, like, crappy fence? Like, why yeah, are they right. trying harder here? And, you know, if you understand, I mean, if you think basic economics, right, if going from four stars to five stars is not going to give you as much extra revenue as it would in in, in a different situation, you have less reason to do it. If, you're, if your sweat equity is not valued as highly, then that's a reason not to do it, like a, like a rational reason, not a I'm being lazy or I don't care. Right. But it's that if your efforts are not rewarded structurally, you're not going to make them. Yeah, you know, and one of the, the biggest fears I have about the, the, these reports is I don't want to discourage people from living and working and sure. starting businesses in black neighborhoods. The the point of the, a lot of this research is to say, hey, these are quality assets. You can actually get a greater return on investment <laughs> in these places it, if we decide to trust 
and believe in black communities, i.e. black people, mm-hmm. um, you could get the kind of return, um, not only um, um, financial returns, but social returns. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take a break because then yeah. we, we should we should talk about about solutions. Yeah. Support for the weeds comes from Hydro. Finding the time to exercise can be hard. But with the Hydro Rower, finding time for a 20-minute full-body workout can be a piece of cake. Hydro is a state-of-the-art, low-impact home rowing machine that's actually designed by rowers. Hydro caters to all fitness levels, and their classes are taught by Olympians and world-class athletes alike. Eric Maxwell, from the business side of things here at Vox, got to try it out. Here's what he thought. The Hydro definitely felt like a nice workout. It felt challenging, intuitive. It kind of felt natural without being too strenuous. It was just nice to have a menu of options to find something super customized and just make it feel fun. This spring, you can join the growing rowing community at Hydro. You can head over to hydro.com and use code WEEDS to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com, code WEEDS, to save up to $400. Hydro.com, code WEEDS. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. So yeah, that's the... People can talk about problems without knowing how to solve them. Uh, But it is, you know, it's possible to react to this research in a very dispirited way. And say, "Uh uh-oh, like there's nothing... There's nothing I can do here. Like, I I should stay away from investing in a black neighborhood because I thought I had a great idea, but it turns out even great ideas won't pay off because right. people are being racist. And, <laughs> you know, we were chatting before here, right? There's there's people are trying to apply more technology to lending and financial assessments, yeah. right? And so if the algorithm discovers that the racial composition of the neighborhood is in fact a factor in revenue, the algorithm is going to tell you yeah. to discriminate and not lend to businesses in black neighborhoods. You know, I, I appreciate um, technology, but I remind people if the programmers have the same biases, which they do, mm-hmm. that led to the devaluation of property, then those algorithms are just going to reinforce that same phenomenon. You know, so that we've got to find ways to change the perception. The The one way I know that that, that can work is by investing in and trusting Black businesses, Black neighborhoods, um, and Black people. Mm-hmm. Once you start engaging and in, in investing in folks, then you develop a bond with them. Mm-hmm. The, the, unfortunately, devaluation is detracting people from investing in Black people and enterprises, and that's um, hurting everyone. In addition, we do need a whole new slew of innovations, products that will address this devaluation. Um, again, it's not just about the housing industry. There's um, we, we need um, um, solutions at the municipal level in terms of policy. We need different market-driven um, um, products. And so one of the things we're doing, I'm partnering with Ashoka, and we're actually going to go around the country 
and um, and solicit entrepreneurs to actually deal with this problem. Mm-hmm. And so we'll give, uh, we're looking at a million dollars of prize money to invest in companies who want to deal with this problem because it, it occurred at so many different levels. You want the solutions to come from these local communities, and that's what we're going to do. But clearly we need investments in people and place to spark the kind of economic growth in in the in these neighborhoods. So what I mean what does that look like concretely? I mean what is what does it mean to invest in, in Oh man, in a I place? would love to see particularly in places like Detroit mm-hmm. where there's severe um, devaluation, um I would love to see a special mortgage uh products because mm-hmm. many of the homes are under $30,000. Mm-hmm. No bank is going to back them. Mm-hmm. And so People are forced to use family and friends' dollars to just purchase a home, and, and, and many people just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So we just need different type of mortgage products in that regard. So the same way we bailed out poor people during the Depression, mm-hmm. we need to bail out people now by providing low-interest loans. I also believe for home current homeowners, we should have microloans so that they can fix up mm-hmm. the, the properties because of the lack of, of equity. They don't have money to actually put in um, to um, um, fixing up uh, their home. Yeah, and, you know, so in, in a lot of these Midwestern cities, especially the, the central cities, the current values of the house are below oh, yeah. their their replacement uh, values. That's right. To, be, That's to right. be technical, right? So it's like you can, you can look like, well, what would it cost to build this house right. versus what does it cost, you know, an identical house versus what does it cost to buy Right. That's right. And when so in a place like in San Francisco, right, the values are way above replacement level because the the land is so valuable. But in place like Cleveland, Detroit, Toledo, demand for living there is so low and it means that the the hard assets are wasting away that people aren't putting up the money to prevent the structures from decaying. And it's a huge loss to American society. Uh, we have homeless people. We have housing insecure people. And we also have build, like, <laughs> buildings that are standing up, like that people, people could, could use. But we need no individual bank is going to lend into that situation. That's exactly right. And that's where we need federal policy mm-hmm. to step in. You know, a lot of your listeners understand that part of the affordability issue is around supply. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you mentioned, there are many places uh, where um, homes are devalued in black neighborhoods where supply is not the issue. There's plenty, There's plenty, plenty of supply. Plenty of supply. But we don't have the resources to develop the neighborhood. So, again, I always go back, hey, let's look at history. We we um, uh, enabled white Americans mm-hmm. to build up neighborhoods um, because of federal housing policy. Mm-hmm. We need similar policy for those areas that are devalued. Now, this is not a handout to black people. Mm -hmm. White people, Asian people, Latinos live in black neighborhoods, too. Mm -hmm. And everyone is devalued. So I want people to rest assured that giving money to black neighborhoods is not some kind of affirmative action. Uh uh Nothing wrong with affirmative action. But the point is... There are times the federal government must step in Mm -hmm. to help develop neighborhoods. So what do you think about gentrification in that 
context, oh, yeah. right? Because, I mean, one thing you can do is, okay, well, we're going to have a surge of investment in this neighborhood. Uh, I, I remember a thing, I, I a story read in the Washington Post years ago, but it, but it always stuck with me. And it was about some neighborhood, I think, in, in Ward 7. And they were coming in and they were planting a lot of new trees. And they were quoting some people there and they were like, uh-oh, like, I know what this means. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's a... Trader Joe's coming to town well, and Starbucks. I mean, it's terrible because yeah. you don't you don't want to say, yeah. well, you don't want to say that it's bad to provide improved city services, no. but there's suspicion as to what the meaning of that kind of investment is and who it's for. Oh, yeah. And this is why you, you should never have a community development strategy without an um, investment strategy in people and ownership. Mm-hmm. When people own things, when they own businesses, when they own homes, they're not worried about an influx of people coming in mm-hmm. and, and and their home prices or and taxes uh, um, um, r- rising. And so the, the goal is, hey, municipalities, oftentimes they, they're the, the largest landowner mm-hmm. in a municipality. They, they, we need leadership in that area. Folks need to, to zone properly. But we also need to encourage people to become homeowners with, um, with new programs that currently don't exist. We need programs to enable people to become entrepreneurs. The, again, quality is not the issue. And I, mm-hmm. that's, I keep going back to that, that we don't lend because there's this perception that, oh, they can't handle the money. Mm-hmm. Or they can't that they don't they don't have the capacity to hold it. So we'll give it to this other middleman essentially mm-hmm. to run a program to help um, black people achieve. Well, no, we, we cut the check mm-hmm. to black and brown people and everyone in black neighborhoods. Enable them to own while you develop the the area to 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 sort of curb off. So this is a so this is a question of who who holds the upside. Right. right. That it's not that you try to stop the neighborhood from changing, but that if you're talking about renters and sort of absentee landlords, then the neighborhood changes. It's maybe good for business, but prices go up and so people have to leave versus if they're homeowners, then prices go up and they benefit from that. And some of them might sell it and leave right, still, right. but like that's OK. Like it's. I mean, it's always been part of yeah. part of the American dream is that you might sell your house and move to a different neighborhood. Like You're that's right. allowed. That's allowed. That, but but we we've lost the sense that economic growth without shared prosperity is not a good thing. Sure. <laughs> like like so, there are many ways to get to spur economic growth, and that we're seeing it in places like D.C., mm-hmm. San Francisco, Boston. But if you uh, look at who's benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. Regular people aren't. Mm-hmm. And so we have to question what is growth in mm-hmm. the, in that frame. So is there a like a good good success story? Is there like cities that are that are getting this right or there well, you know, promising I'm, programs out there? There but... are there's a city that I've been paying attention to and I don't know what it is. Nashville, Tennessee. There you go. The the um homes in black neighborhoods are uh, actually priced higher than their white counterparts. Huh. Revenue differentials and businesses are higher in black neighborhoods than they are and than the white counterpart. So something's going on in Tennessee. I, what I'm told, and this is where investigative journalism yeah. really matters because we can look at the numbers. But you know what's driving it? I do know that you have Meharry Medical School mm-hmm. there. You have um, Fisk and um, other mm-hmm. HBCUs there. You have a long history of home ownership there. You know, I want to say the. The, um, folks who own homes are, are, are 
on average, older than most places. And so there needs to be a conversation about wealth transfer in this Mm -hmm, place. mm -hmm. But right now, Nashville Mm -hmm. is a great place um, to be black. I mean, -hmm. mean, you know, and and I always reference this. There there are 124 black majority places where the median incomes exceed national averages. Uh Half of them are in Maryland. Okay. So Maryland is sort of like bougie heaven. Sure. Black bougie heaven. But but the housing devaluation, because so many black people have put all of their wealth in their in their home, mm-hmm. you know, the recession wiped out that wealth and, and black neighborhoods that have not recovered in right. the same way. And so these are places though that we should see more investment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and and but um again, places like Detroit. Memphis, mm-hmm. um, parts of Philadelphia. Um, we've got to have some new innovations to allow folks to buy into the economic prosperity that's a grow that's growing in this country. Is there is there something in particular that that you know was done or or happened in Nashville, or is this kind of a a mystery that that it's needs a mystery? You know, sometimes we we run these models and mm-hmm. it, it just. That you find something, and then, but again, this is where journalism matters yeah. because you get the finding, and then you need somebody to go. You know, I mean, it, it suggests. Uh, I mean, I, I I had a great time when I went to Nashville last year, so I'm I'm eager to go back. Yeah, go back. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll investigate this. See they, what. Exactly, but the the homes are appreciating um, in black neighborhoods. The um, businesses seem to be um, thriving or on par with their white counterparts in terms of revenue. Something's something's going on in Nashville. Well, that's good. Good yeah. for Nashville. I think on the on the housing side, it's sort of maybe easy easier for me to see the picture. Yeah. But like, what what would you do for for businesses in in black majority neighborhoods? I mean, I guess I, the the Trump administration uh, touts this opportunity zones idea, which is supposed to be a tax break for businesses that start in. I guess, some kind of specially designated areas. Um, is, is, right. Does that work? Well, I mean, right now it, it, it isn't showing the kind of impact on improving wealth in this mm-hmm. country. You know, again, this goes back to an earlier um, statement. When you invest in place and not people, uh-huh. you can you possibly make matters worse. Worse. I'm the first person to say we need investment mm-hmm. in black neighborhoods, period. But when they're when when they're the regulations around and in this case opportunity zones aren't tied to employment goals, ownership goals, and other things, you can eventually give people tax breaks and then invest in neighborhoods that displace people even more. So right. So that's what my big biggest fear. Is. Well, because if the investment takes the form of a tax break, that's helpful, but it only helps you if you already have, have. money to That's invest, right? right? That's right. So, so, you know, there are some stories out there in ProPublica and stuff of, of what look like total scams. But even leaving that aside, like if it works as intended, and like somebody has money, they say, oh, I can get a good tax break to go in this yeah. neighborhood. So they do, and they make a good business, and, and it's just good. It's everybody's happy. But if white people own 99% right. of the capital— then there's there's no way for black people to take advantage of an investment tax. And this is a, another part of this narrative that we need white people to invest in black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. No, we need 
people who living in neighborhoods to invest in themselves. Mm-hmm. And the the more we can create conditions for folks to invest in themselves, the better. And 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 so I'm not looking for white saviors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not looking for an ownership class mm-hmm. and um, a, a renter class in this in, in metaphorically or or maybe not, but you know, I'm looking for to remove the structures mm-hmm. that require this massive tax break mm-hmm. to for to 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 improve um black neighborhoods why not just deal with the racism mm-hmm. and let and let um, um businesses and homes thrive in these neighborhoods and right now you know the the interest rates available to the federal government are incredibly low. low oh that's right so you know and the private sector demand for investment seems low yeah right? that's right right so this is a great opportunity to actually mobilize that borrowing capacity and put financial capital in the hands of the group of people who right now don't don't have any yeah if only we trusted black people mm-hmm. you know that because yeah, again it's this narrative that black people are risky mm-hmm. <laughs> that's preventing us from doing um preventing the country from doing what we do for whites mm-hmm. and that is um and uh, giving folks the capital to make decisions about their their life and their community. And if we can do that, things will improve. This is not an issue of equality. Mm-hmm. Just like our business reports show, the quality is there. This, uh, um, higher order thinking skills are there in terms of business and home ownership. The capital is not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what's missing. Okay, fantastic, Andre Perry. Uh, but before I let you go, I always like to ask people, uh, what, what do you wish I'd asked you about here? What what should we have talked about? You know, this will be completely self-serving, but, <laughs> if, uh, you know, and this will be kind of awkward, but, you know, I wish you asked, what, uh, why did you name your book Know Your Price? <laughs> All right, why did you name the book <laughs> Know Your Price? <laughs> because my favorite my favorite uh, play in the whole wide world is Two Trains Running. The main character in this play, uh, Memphis, is about to have his properties seized, his business seized through eminent domain mm-hmm. um, by the city of Pittsburgh. They offer him $15,000 for it. He says, no, I'm not selling my business. I know my price. I'm paraphrasing. I got my <laughs> price. And it's a refrain throughout the play. Mm-hmm. There's another character, Hambone, who paints a fence for um, a proprietor for a, in exchange for a ham. He paints a fence. He never gets his ham. Throughout the play, he goes back and forth, give me my ham, give me my ham, until he goes crazy and dies. But there's actually a happy ending. I know people are like, damn. <laughs> but there's yeah, that's a little dark. <laughs> you know, there's a happy ending. The main character, Memphis, gets $35,000 for his business. And the moral of the story is, Know that you have worth. Mm-hmm. But what I want people to do, um, understand with my book, is know that you have to demand the, a price, mm-hmm. that you you must stand up to a price. So whether you're a business owner or a homeowner, some of this is going to, to occur because communities mobilize and stand for their price. And that's what uh, that's why I wish you asked me. Uh, <laughs> that's there that's, you go. that's why I have that question at the end. You know, <laughs> you, 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 you missed stuff. OK, thank you so much, uh, Andre Perry. Thanks to our producer, Jeffrey Geld. Uh, and the Weeds will be back on Saturday. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. 
great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.